Welcome to the workshop, Defects into Assets. My name is Leanne. I'm from Oakland. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask-it-basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speaker. The reading is from the big book, page 76. answer to our satisfaction when we look at step six, we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. We are now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable. Can he now take them from us, everyone? If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. When ready, we say something like this, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. So little. Yeah. <laughs> so little. Those are two steps right there. Our speaker today is Adele from Redondo Beach. She's going to be the only speaker for this workshop. Um, for 50 minutes, she'll be speaking and leading. I'd like to welcome Adele. Hi, my name is Adele. I'm a compulsive eater and bulimic. Recovering today, thank goodness. I'm going to you back there. Um, welcome today. Um, it's always interesting to see... Uh, what happens in my life and uh, what I thought or think ought to be happening. And um, thereby I can measure uh, my suffering. As I was reading, hold on one second, let me get some water. First, I, I should qualify before I do the reading. And um, my abstinence date is November 2nd, 1995. Um, I've been, this says shift happens, my teacher. And someone asked me a wonderful question of whether or not that is seismic. And um, if that is a seismic um, inference. And um, I said, no, not really. And then, of course it is. <laughs> it can appear to be outside or it can appear inside where it really is. Um, and that, it, my experience really is the, the visible representation of some internal change in, um, in me. I am a real compulsive overeater, and I, my weight has gone from at a high of 185 and I stopped weighing and I was gaining rapidly at that time 
And um, I have been uh, very ill in program, and I went down to 100 pounds. I'm six feet tall, and that looked really different than I thought ought to be happening. And I had a, a real interesting experience um, that coincided with menopause. I'm 50, and uh, I am now a diva, which is so cool. And uh, But at 40, I started going through menopause, and I had the different experience that, that women have. My weight went down, which I thought was God's gift to me personally for the torture of menopause. And... Um, as it declined, and I could do nothing about that, no matter what I did, uh, caloric intake, I, I tried all kinds of things, which I'll tell you about in a minute, uh, it didn't change. And so that also facilitated another gift for me, which was the gift of knowing that the voice of judgment is my own. It's about what I think about me. It's never about what I think about you. And as I go on, um, I get to really examine that. And I get given these a, a tremendous gift of going back in and experiencing that judgment in a really big way in, in, what, in what's happening. In, in this circumstance, me losing weight and looking really different and having people comment and not comment and stare and and uh, do all those kinds of things. So it's been real, really, really wonderful for my own sense of judgment. Um, I went from, I didn't count calories when I came, uh, before I came. It wasn't something I was ever interested in doing. If you ate like I did, you would never count calories. Um, my the disease manifested itself in the very beginning with about an hour and a half of anorexia and then full-on compulsive overeating and i turned into a pickle that quick it happened really quickly for me i was 16 and it was it, it was on and i was not a compulsive eater uh, when i grew up um i was always very thin and it was just, you know, just the way I was landed here. And then suddenly, this I was never that interested in food. I liked food, but I don't think it was extraordinary. But what was happening at that time was I was having, yeah. Would everyone take their cell phones out, even if you think that you they're not on, and just look at them? I've done this before. I actually did it in a recorded radio theater. Um, so, I understand. So, anyway, what, um, what happened was I was going through this really big internal struggle with my stepfather. And um, I was becoming a separate self. And that wasn't okay with me. And it wasn't okay with me the way he reacted to that. And so I began doing, stepping up this good girl thing. And uh, my stepfamily were all compulsive, are all compulsive overeaters, and most of them are, are alcoholic as I am. 
tomorrow's my 20th AA birthday, which is so cool. And um, eating was huge in that house. It was not my experience prior to that. And if you were overweight, which my stepsister was, very overweight, uh, my stepfather would introduce her, her as his favorite daughters. And I really got it really big time. It was not okay to be overweight. And that piece of information stuck and circled in the brain for me. And what happened was when the compulsive overeating started, that thing that had been circulating in my brain took off. And I don't know what it is. It's not important to me now um, where the problem came from. The, what's important to me is that there's a solution. That's what's important to me. And that I'm in it, which is even more important, and it's grace. So I, I came into the program when I was 30. And I had 30 days of, of not compulsively overeating, which was unbelievable. I hadn't had that time since I was 16. And I was going to therapy, and my therapist told me that if I did not go to Overeaters Anonymous, he wouldn't see me. Thank goodness for him, because I didn't want to come here and catch it from you again. I really didn't. And I knew I was different as a bulimic. I'm different than you guys. And, and uh, if anyone was struggling with her weight or his weight, then I was terrified. And it had nothing to do with you, as nothing does. It never does. Every time there is something that arises out here, and then I feel... Uh, Something come up in me about that. It's an invitation to go in. It's not out here. And so that's my invitation. It's a joyful, gracious invitation. Always a gift. Often does not appear as such. And so, um, I don't even remember where I was going with that, but I got into program at, at 30, and uh, as I said, I thought I was really different. What I know today at almost 51 is that there's no difference. We are compulsive overeaters. It manifests itself. It has shown itself up in me in every way possible. Overweight, underweight, starving, binging, you know, whatever it looks like, because the center is, this, is a mind and it's all about what I think about the food, what I think about my body, what I think about getting the food, what I think about getting rid of the food, what I think you think about me, what I think your program and your food plan is, what I think you think about me and my food program, and on and on it goes. It's exhausting. No wonder I was exhausted all the time. And so this, the magic is that over this, these years, I have gotten to realize that, that I have one problem. It's not even a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. It's an error. It's not a problem. It's an error. And that's this intense feeling of separation. Separation from you. Separation from whatever this power is, this source. And... Food, I, there is a belief that food will fix it. And not eating will fix it. Eating will fix it. For me as a bulimic, 
pouring out this rage in the toilet will fix it. Whatever that looks like. So that's what I've come to learn, but you can't learn it unless you stay. <laughs> I heard everything. I really, I heard the, the program really quickly and concisely in the beginning. But I have to rehear it because I am really a trained forgetter. I'm an amazing forgetter. So I've got to go and hear it and have it fed to me as nourishment again and again. And then often I get to say it and hear it, which is a lot of what sponsorship is about, too. Um, so at uh, three years of abstinence, about three years, I, 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 relapsed. I began compulsively overeating, and I'm bulimic, and so that led me to, to uh, throwing up again. That's my personal form. Bulimia takes very many forms. Sometimes it's laxative. Sometimes it's um, starving, using various forms of that in between compulsive overeating. For me, it was three meals a day. You know, my absence used to be three meals a day and throwing up everything in between. Uh, you know, it's, it's um, I, you know, it's just wonderful. I'll tell you, part of, of um, acceptance is accepting myself as I am right now. I will pause for a second. I've had seven strokes, and so I'll get lost. I may even call these the fifth and sixth step. Uh, step. It's six and seven, for clarity. And um, I've had um, 17 major surgeries since I came to program, and 16 of them have been since I began abstaining. So they're major surgeries, which means they get out drills, and um, you don't go home after they're done for a long time. I've had brain surgery, open-heart surgery, five surgeries to my intestines, and um, all kinds of ones in between. And so acceptance is that I, I, the thought is that comes up sometimes is that I used to be really smart and I'm not smart like that anymore. And, um, and I used to not ever lose my place because um, that's not what you're supposed to do. And when that thought comes up now, I've got to, you know, just be like, it's okay. No one knows what you just didn't say. <laughs> <laughs> they think you're pausing because you're spiritual, you know. <laughs> so part of part of what happened in that relapse was that it oh, I took that first bite, and then it's like dancing with a gorilla. You're done when the gorilla says so, not when you say so. That was my experience. And I was not done until the gorilla was done in me. And um, that was four years. And my current abstinence, I, you know, I'm so, it's such a cherished thing. I'm so grateful for it. What happened uh, during that time was the first compulsive bite is the last thing that happens in the relapse, not the first. The first one comes with the, the thought. And the tuckers, I like to think of them, they, the whatever shop that I noticed that, dis, that opened on the corner. Um, my, you know, 
one of my uh, foods was the, the, the donut, you know, shop, whatever. I'm talking about food, but this is my workshop. <laughs> so that, and, and I tuck it, and I, I remember it, and I don't tell anyone. And the, the meal that I had that I'm sure I wasn't supposed to have, and I lied to my sponsor. I remember lying to her in this absence about eating an entire jar of Costco pickles for breakfast. Do you know what Costco pickle jars look like? Oh, I'm talking to you guys. What am I thinking? They only have, what, 15 calories a thing? <laughs> but I don't tell anyone, you know? We, we don't have the opportunity to laugh with each other and tell each other, oh, yeah, I did that. And I tuck it. And I do something. I sell myself a nickel at a time, not all at once. I sell my integrity, and I don't tell anyone. And those are the things that happen. And I have these feelings come up. I have these memories come up. But I don't share about it. I judge you when you share about it. Because I judge me when I share about it. And this is what happens over time. And then the, the first compulsive bite is the last thing I take. Um, the first time, my abstinence was um, not binging or vomiting, no matter what. And what I found is that, guess what? When you stop doing that, there's a compulsive overeater. There she is. Wow. And so I got to meet her, and um, I wasn't pleased about it. And so, you know, my essence today is refraining from compulsive overeating. And um, that's, that's a real difference, but I had to learn that. So the first time I, I got to choose when I would eat and when I wouldn't. And because I was going through this really difficult time, this feel, these feelings were arising in me and it wasn't okay with me. And I was eating a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more now between. A little bit more now. Now a little more, kind of like that. And then one day I just made a decision to go for it. Because it was just going to be for today and I wasn't going to tell anyone. And then, then it was on. Then it was on. There's, a, there's power in making a decision. There's, there's power in making a decision to do something without the source and without you guys. Well, you're part of the source. I see, I see my source in you. And when I make a decision to do that, I'm off by myself. And there, the power is the power of the disease for me. And that's the thinking that leads to the eating. If I make a decision with the power and my source and you guys, there's power in that. It's a different kind of a power. And it doesn't ravage me like this disease does. You know, it nourishes me. Um, as I was um, looking at some of the literature, all of it is good, I wrote down something, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, I've heard I've heard different opinions about literature. I don't I don't have one. I have the experience of seeing um, something that resonates in me in all kinds of literature, and I always look for that. If it doesn't resonate in me at a meeting, I can leave it there. It has nothing to do with me. Now the resonance is in me, right in the middle of me. It's not in the head. The head will argue with it. It will take a position on it, it will agree with it. It will do all kinds of things with it. 
But that's not where it takes place. It takes place and it happens. Like when I went into OA, I felt it. It just vibrated me. And I had a lot of opinions about it, but I could not deny that. And it kept, it pulled me back. I, I used to run to meetings for fear, and now I, I realize I'm being pulled to them, not, you know, being shoved towards them. The big book came out in 1939. The 12 and 12 came out in 1952, 13 years later. For those of you who've been programmed, how, what is the difference between two years and, and 13 when the big book was written? Wow. You know, a lot gets revealed. And so it's a very cool one. The OA, the book was written in 1990, 30 years after OA was started. 28 years? Wow. Imagine how much was revealed in that time. And so there's so, so much cool stuff in all of them. The primary fact, this is from step four in the 12 and 12 from AA, is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. This is six and seven for me. Either we insist on dominating the people we know or we depend upon them far too much. If we lean too heavily on people, they will sooner or later fail us, for they are human too, and cannot possibly meet our incessant demands. In this way, our insecurity grows and festers. Does this sound familiar? When we habitually try to manipulate others to our own willful desires, they revolt and resist us heavily. Then we develop hurt feelings, a sense of persecution. They're doing it to me. And a desire to retaliate. As we redouble our efforts and continue to fail, our suffering becomes acute and constant. That's my experience with each of these characteristics that stand between you and me, and me and me, and me and God. That's right there. And so, um, when I came in, when I first came in, I didn't know what to do with that, and so I ate. And when I came in here, I began learning what to do with this. Um, I will mention what my food plan is today. It has had to change. I've had really interesting issues with my weight, and uh, and I've gained 20 pounds since that bottom and which is wonderful and I've uh, I've had to increase my food that's a wonderful thing to <laughs> to do um, but it, it's so that's had to change it's refraining from compulsive overeating again um, I've also um, have a sponsor I eat three meals a day two snacks I have my lunch usually in two parts and it's rather large and um so that's, that's how I do, and that, you know, I had to get okay with. Eating five times a day doesn't mean eating five times as much. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this six and seven that was pointed to here, I'll go back to that now, is um, is an opportunity to get in to um, experience what's standing in between me and these relationships 
that I have. And these are what we is referred to as defects of character. I don't, that's not my language. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. I felt defective all my life. So I prefer to think of it as things that stand in the way of the sunlight of the spirit. And, and that is sunlight. And I can feel it just all the way through me and I'm at peace. And I've, I've come to realize for me that it's really not defects, it's effects of character. And so they look like something else. Um, but if I look underneath that layer of what it appears, then I find the, the source of the error. And boy, wow, what I do behind those are, is, is really interesting. Um, if you don't know what your character effects are or what what those characteristics are, don't worry. You don't have to get in contact with them. They'll get in contact with you. (laughs) And I experience this part with each one of them. I don't really, the uh, turning defects into, what does it say, assets? Um, I think I would probably term that for me is that is realizing those characteristics and watching what happens with them. For example, when I came in, um, pride, it's been a huge thing, pride. And here's how, I wouldn't have called myself a prideful person because I thought that was someone who's really egocentric and all all out there about who they were um, with regard to their appearance. That's what I thought that meant. And I wasn't. Now, I've come to see that pride can be in reverse, which means I think I'm the worst person in the whole world. And we have one downsmanship here. (laughs) We're always trying to have a worse story. And um, so I didn't didn't know how how much that was really getting me. Um, But what I... What I've come to understand about that is that pride will show up in a number of ways. Um, one of the ways that it shows up is a sarcasm. And sarcasm is uh, mean-spiritedness dressed in a different party dress that is supposed to look like humor. And, and this one was a big one for me. I pulled it out this morning, Barbara, when I were driving here, my friend Barbara. And we were at a corner, and she said, um, you know, be careful, because the police are right there, and they were, about turning left. And I said something to the effect of, right, like I'd really turn left. And we pulled in, and I, the difference is I caught it just like that. I mean, I was aware of it. As soon as we could get around the corner, I had the opportunity from the steps, the 10th step, to say, you know, I'm really sorry. I was sarcastic about that. And she said, well, really sweetly and softly as she does, you know, you did it at the last corner. <laughs> and I really didn't want a little New York accent I'm imitating. I didn't want the comp. To, you know, he was right there. So... <laughs> I realize that this is an opportunity, an invitation to go in 
and see that this is what is appearing as a defect of character. It's judgment. And what I was doing was I was asking this God to remove it. He was over there. It was a he. And I was going to have him come in here and go inside me, pull it out. And I was waiting. And guess what? It didn't happen. And um, first I had to address the, the higher power. Uh, the first one was a meanie. Um, the only prayer I ever said before I got to the program was, please, God, don't let me be pregnant. I'll never do it again. <laughs> I, I, this is true. And I always did it again. Always did it again. And so um, this God was looking for me, and he was pissed off. And I didn't want to be found. I was going to be punished. The, the voice was the voice of my stepfather. He was... Um, yeah, yelling, and he really raised his voice that I knew he was thinking about yelling. And um, this was, oh, I had to get rid of that God. So that God, you know, got addressed. And then I had Santa Claus. And boy, did I believe in Santa Claus. If I was really good, really good, I'd get rewarded. And if I was bad, I would still get punished. Um, now, I believe in the Santa Claus, and I'm Jewish. <laughs> So that one didn't work because I was really, really good and things happened. You don't go through my health history. You know, I was 36 years old and I had six strokes and open heart surgery within three days. And that didn't happen to people who are really good like me. It didn't happen to people who relapsed at three years who were sponsored. I was sponsoring 11 people at, at nine months. I'm a doer. <laughs> That's something I've had to recover from. Competent. I suffer from competency at all times. Um, <laughs> where was I? Does anyone remember? You're not paying attention. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, the good girl, good girl. So that one got out. And then I began, I had to begin doing the 11th step. And there's two parts of it. The second part is not extra credit. It's prayer and meditation. I think they put the prayer in there because we like to talk. And... For me, what I realized, it is transformed from a petition, give me this and I'll do that, to please provide me with clarity. That's the change. It's changed from gimme to allow me to see what's happening and accept this. That's the shift in that. And so... That's what really has happened through the 11th step. The 11th step for me, I had a chronically compulsive mind. I mean, a hundred times, uh, I would say that the serenity prayer a hundred times, and I don't mean 99, I mean a hundred exactly. I would count them on my fingers by tapping. I'd be in a meeting and I would count you. 
and one of you would go out and get coffee or do what you did, and then I would have to count you again. And then someone would go to the bathroom and come in, and I would have to count you again. Then I would think, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't right, and then I would count you again. Now, I might be talking while this was happening and um, having four conversations in my head at the same time. This is the kind of mind that I came with. I was, it was impossible for me to get still until I had seven strokes. <laughs> you never know what your gifts look like. I, I don't think like that anymore. I can't. Isn't it great? Cool. I, I don't want to be stuck with that head anymore. But it was on the other side of something. I actually kept my last name. I was married the first time uh, to someone from Israel, and uh, the, the name Shay or Shai means gift. And I really liked it. I uh, got rid of him, but I kept the name. So this, so this, uh, this God, I wrote this down. I had heard this one time. Give as much of yourself. Actually, actually, Sam Shoemaker, who was um, the spiritual mentor of Bill Wilson, who began Alcoholics Anonymous, said this. Give as much of yourself as you can to as much of your God as you understand. To as much of God as you understand. I really like that. I really like that. So as the as the understanding has changed or maybe grown, then that definition has uh, changed, and I have been able to give a little more. So the eleventh step, I began with three minutes, and I would count them. Okay, um, and it went on like that. I stayed at eleven minutes for uh, three minutes at for eleven years, and then it grew. And I meditate several times a day now. It depends. I often do small meditations throughout the day, one minute. Doing 20 small, uh, one-minute meditations is even cooler than doing one 20-minute one, if you can. Um, because it, it causes a stop and pause. And I'm going to uh, put you through a little exercise um, that will give you a, a tool for pausing and going in for the kind of inquiry that will ask yourself what is underneath what e- this effect looks like. Uh, last, time, last session, someone was talking in the back row, and I gave her the stink eye. And as soon as I turned around, I was aware of it. And I went, wow, invitation to go in. It's not ever about what's out here. And that's what I came to understand through doing the 11 step, not through agreeing with it, the meditation part in particular, was that the source is in here for me. It's in here. Think about it. I don't know if you're out there. I experience you internally, right? It happens inside the brain and neurons snap and all that. I think I see something. I go back in. It all is internal. You embrace me and you kiss me and I tell myself this means love. And so I go in and all these things happen, neurons, and I feel really good and I feel love, right? Now, guess what? If I don't experience love, what I can do is love you. I can do something for you and do that same process, and I will have the same experience as if 
you did that to me. So I get love. That's why they tell, they trick us into this experience inside when we come in here through service. So everything happens in here, always an invitation to go in. So I, I go in and I say, wow, what's this think I about? And, oh, wow, judgment, there it is again. Oh, there's a fear under there. What's that fear about? You're not going to get enough. You're going to miss something. Oh, they're back there. Oh, yeah, what's that fear about? They're not doing it right. You're afraid you're not doing it right. Wow. Okay, I'm going in. Oh, sweetie. It's okay, we're right here. Everything you need is right here. It's all okay. Wow. There's a peace that comes with that. And that's what the working the sixth and seventh step is about for me. Because I can't change it. Adele, God appearing as Adele can't change it. Um, absolutely can't. This power can, but I can't. I don't have access to it out there. I must go within. And it says in the big book, deep down in every man, woman, and child is this ultimate expression of God inside. That's not the exact wording. And this is absolutely the only place it can be found. They say it right there. So we go inside. So what I'd like to do now, um, oh, one more thing. The really cool part about that is that I get to know a couple things. Number one, I'm 100% responsible. Not, I don't have a part in my own happiness. I don't have a part in my own peace. I don't have a part in my own experience. I have 100% responsibility. It is absolutely not related. It's irrespective, I should say, of what's happening out there. I get to own peace. I get to own happiness 100% of the time if I say so. (laughs) You don't get to tell me how I get to feel. And I can't blame you for that. I can try. But it's not true. So I I get to go in each time and know that. That's so cool because I cannot change anything out there. I do not have a part in my experience in this life. I have 100% responsibility for the way I see it and the way I internalize it. And that is great, great freedom. Everything's an invitation to go in. Now, 100% of my suffering is the difference, the exact difference between what's happening and what I think ought to be happening. You can get a yardstick out and measure it. So that's really good to know, that you are not responsible for my suffering either. Now, I didn't say it's my fault. (laughs) I got those confused, but I am responsible for that. I can't always accept that. Um, I I can today. I don't always get it right away, but I always know it. So close your eyes. If you're at home listening to this, get in a comfortable place. Put down the candy bar. (laughs) And um, 
get really comfortable. I'm going to walk you through something. Now, I want you to go inside and just feel yourself. Feel yourself really here. Feel the coolness in the room coming. Feel any physical sensations you have with yourself on the chair and your feet on the floor. And get really aware about what's happening inside. Feel any resistance you have to being here right now? Any desire to get up and leave? Any desire to have this workshop end or not end? And feel the energy right in your body right now. Feel any discomfort or sensations, I should say, as you're experiencing and it's not comfortable. And just allow those to be. Make space for them. Make space. No resistance. Resistance is always in the mind first and the body second. And it begins with a thought about something happening. Sensations are just sensations. So go in and see if you can access the last time you had some kind of a effective character show up. Something that you wish was different in your life, even if it has nothing to do with you seemingly. And get in touch with that. Now notice the sensation in your body and identify for yourself if there's any physical feeling of discomfort or sensation. And I sometimes experience this as heaviness in my chest or a glitch in my stomach. Might be a tightness somewhere in the arms or shoulders. Just experience that. This is just energy. Let's move aside concepts about what this is or isn't. And just feel this energy. The body is really intelligent and knows exactly what to do with this energy if we just allow it, make a space for it. Now, be aware of this idea of what it is that you want to be different. And invite, go in and invite joyfully for it to name itself, tell you what it is. I don't want, I don't like, I wish. Now feel, just notice that you may experience an intensity in that feeling in your body. This is always an invitation, these physical things, to go in. And and what you want to do for yourself at home is to invite yourself to go and use these as a touchstone for this process. Now I want you to make space for these ideas 
about something you want to change, just imagine that there's this huge expanding space and invite in all the things, all the running commentary just to be here because it is. It just is. So invite it in. Now, when you go in to where that sensation in your body is, just notice what's happened. Has there been any easing of that? everything in the space that you've made room for and ask yourself from the perspective of presence is there a problem here? And if there is I want you to go back in and repeat this process until all of the things that you are resisting you have made space for. The, the suffering is in the resistance 100% of the time. And from that springs all the behaviors that look like defects. So, So that going in process is available to you all the time and and to me as well. I'm going to uh, to wrap up by saying that um, the experience I, I still have work with the sponsor. Um, I go to a lot of spiritual uh, teachers, read a lot of spiritual material. Even the highest people check out what they've uh, come to with someone else, which is what. But I know that my answers aren't out there. They're in here. And um, the process of the steps is to clean out this channel enough so that we can go in and have clarity. What I wanted to do was I wanted to come to these things and I wanted to pour in what you said to me so that it would fix me. And this is the, the error that we're broken. The, you know, the bad news is the 12 steps will not fix us. It won't. The good news is we're not broken. The 12 steps is a set of spiritual exercises designed to get us in touch with the fact that we're not broken. And um, the most, all of them are important. All of them. And I do all of them. And um, the meditation is essential to working six and seven. Thank you.
We have to reverse the order of the Ask It Basket because Leanne forgot to pass the Ask It Basket. So we'll have shares first for um, three-minute shares, and the basket will go around and we'll stop uh, ten minutes before the end. Um, if you do want to share, you need to come up and sign. Um, after you share, um, you need to sign this permission to tape you. Um, you can do that after you speak. So it says we have time for about three shares. If you've already shared in another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and find the tape release form after you share. Who would like to be first? Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm a compulsive overeater. A sleepy compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Adele. That was wonderful. Really great. Um, great to hear your story. So uh, in the workshop I attended before, um, one of the speakers made reference that one of her early sponsors in the program said, ah, step six and seven, there's, there's very little dedicated to them in the big book. They're kind of unimportant. Let's just gloss over those and get right to the amends. And, I, and we all laughed, you know, because, you know, that's where the shift happens, six and seven. Six and seven... I do need to be in one, two, and three daily, and I do practice, you know, my, my tenth step regular, my eleventh step rather regularly. But for me, six and seven are really just the meat of the program. They're just really digging in there and turning the character defects, defenses, assets, I mean, or whatever, Adele called them um, effects, which I like too, trying to see those, you know, how those can be converted into um, assets. And for me, you know, I've been in the program 15 years, and... Um, for me, I guess just my stubbornness. I, I often say when I leave meetings, I said I am probably, possibly the most stubborn person in this room. And my stubbornness converted to perseverance with my higher power's help that has caused me to stay and not walk out and not think that I've graduated from the program, you know. Um, it's just, it's a really, uh, six and seven, man, they're just tough. And, you know, continuing to do inventory, I'm not one of those people. And I've heard some people, you know, in other fellowships, you know, well, I did, you know, one or two, you know, I went through the steps once. I, I can't do that for me because that gets me too stagnant. I have to work, you know, steps four and five. I have to uncover defects. I mean, I laugh. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think I don't do anything perfectly. I think I don't care, but in many ways I'm a perfectionist. I didn't realize I had a thing with wanting to control other people, you know. So it's all of these little things that I get to see the repetitious patterns and say, okay, God, I'm really going to need your help on this one because, you know, left to my own devices, I'm back in the food if I'm not, you know, continuing to examine these defects. So I'm really glad I'm here, and um, I hope you're all having a good time like I am. Thank you. I think, come up, I'm just waiting, it's dead time. Um, the reason that they, there's only that much in the book is because they only had, Bill only had two years. <laughs> Anyone else want to come up? I'm just uh, talking for the dead time on the tape. Isn't that a funny term? Hmm? Ah, I have never quit anything. It has quit me. Oh, 
Actually, I didn't give it up either. Uh, that's a really good question. How did I, how do you quit being a doer? I love that question. The answer is I never quit anything. However, it does get surrendered. If I could figure out how to do that, I would bottle it and sell it to you. <laughs> um, I tell you, I just get worn out. Um, I went to, after I had six strokes and open heart surgery and brain surgery, I went to, to work uh, five weeks later. Five weeks later, I opened my mail. I had a major stroke and, and five subsequent ones. I couldn't remember my husband's name. I didn't know how to, couldn't figure out how to turn the key in the door. I remember walking up to a woman at a meeting and his dog died and I said, congratulations. I meant, I'm sorry, but the drawer with the, all those things would get mixed up. And um, I went to work, though, because I could not go to work. And that just exhausted itself. And um, I just retired. Uh, and I finally, after all of these years, I tried absolutely everything not to. And, oh, my God, the joy is opening up. I'm a writer, and I've written about, you know, 650 pieces published, and, and I've never put them together or anything. And now all this joy is coming out. You know, I was doing something that no longer worked, but not I said it's supposed to. And so what I kept doing was throwing my, hurling myself at it. I always thought things were happening to me. I was hurling myself at them. Things never happen to me. They happen. They happen. Man gets up, man walks over to the door, man opens door, man carries suitcase out. I interpret it ha he left me. <laughs> so that's how everything is. And what I would do is I would hurl myself at that because there it is, that pride. And if I go in, I see that I'm terrified that I'm not going to do enough and that you're going to throw me away. And it's not that you'd leave me. Some people have that one. I wished you would leave. Um, but I was terrified, guys. I was terrified of being suffocated by you, so I wished you'd leave. But I was also terrified of getting thrown away by you. And so I would do those things. I called it perfectionism. For me, for years I called it perfectionism. And what I really realized for me was that it wasn't I was trying to manipulate you to feel a certain way about me. I didn't want to be perfect, really. I wanted to be perfect if you might find out. So if you might look possibly. You might look possibly at what I did, that you would find out that I didn't do it enough, and then you would throw me away. So I had to invite this power that I got in contact with to, when I went in, and I have to do the other steps or the channel's not clean. I go into an abyss of self-centeredness, and the self is the little s. I've got to access this higher s, and it, it comes after the cleaning out process. 
So I go in and I find, oh, wow, I had asked for the pride to be removed. I asked for the wrong thing. I got to go in, bring the source in, and go unto the terror and say, wow, can I make a space for this terror and invite you in? Come here, sweetheart. Oh, there you are. Uh, you're here. I, I invited in because it's here. <laughs> Allowing. Okay. It's okay. Let's, let's look at it. From the perspective of a presence, is there a problem here? No. There's here and there's love and there's you. And what happened was I wanted you to accept me and love me. I didn't care if you loved me. I wanted you to applaud constantly. And if you stopped, I didn't care if you liked me. If you stopped applauding to go to the bathroom, I would feel broken. Something was wrong. So it's the invitation to go in and, and access this and invite the source to embrace it because it's here. And from the perspective of that, everything just allows. I've been using a phrase lately, <clears throat> what if it's easy? <laughs> not as a scolding, not it's easy and you should think it is, or why don't you think it's easy? That's not it. <laughs> why aren't you doing easy? What if it's easy and gently placing it on every thought? Driving here, we got lost. It's so funny. Put in Ontario, and I got the... You know, I'm so efficient because I had lost my uh, my um, spatial thing with this, and I'm efficient, and I and I write it down. And I've got my iPhone, and it's got my GPS system, and I typed it in, and I typed in Ontario, CA, and got Ontario, Canada. And as we're going along, Barbara goes, "Wait a minute." Is this supposed to be 485 miles to the next exit? <laughs> oh, my God. And it was like, wow, this is, it's already here. It's happening. How am I going to deal with that situation? Are we going to laugh? We've got a little fluster. Then we're cracking up. We got lost again. Oh, well, we were here fine in enough time. The workshop didn't look like I think it was going to. It's, is it okay? Fine. Right? You don't know what it was supposed to be. <laughs> Talk not, uh, more about not, uh, not being broken when so much of what I hear at meetings sounds like we are broken. It's because the people saying it think they're broken. <laughs> <laughs> I've been experiencing this one thing, this, this release from this awesome thought. I made a decision to feel overwhelmed when I was really young. I made a decision. I was overwhelmed. So every morning as I awake, this is not, this is just shifted. Every year there's a shift that happens. Every moment, actually. It's a daily reprieve. We get a daily invitation, a momentary invitation to go in, to go in. So, uh, so um, I completely forgot what I was saying. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Oh, cool. Isn't that cool? I forgot that. So 
So I'm in, I'm in bed before I get, before my first waking thought is, it's too much. Morning came too soon. It's going to be hard. I'm not ready. I'm overwhelmed. So I get up, and I don't want to get up. I, I feel like there's 5,000 pounds on me, on my, right on me. And I get up, and the phone rings, and I tell myself, it's too hard now. I'm not ready. It's too much. I'm overwhelmed. And I go over to the phone, and I pick it up. Now, I've, I've, I left the phone ring at least three times now because I pause and ask myself, I go in, is it okay with you to pick up the phone now? And if it isn't, I don't. And I pick up the phone 99% of the time more. <laughs> and I'm not mad at you because you called. <laughs> now, actually, it's not true. I'm not pretending I'm not mad at you that you called. And I'm actually mad that you called because I'm overwhelmed. So here's this idea, like, when did I make a decision to be overwhelmed? Guess what? It's not true. Do I have time to tell one story? This happened recently. It is so funny. I was working with, with someone uh, on this. And, and uh, anyway, I, so I went back to my birth because it doesn't matter what really happened, right? It's what we think happened. So I had this experience. I actually had an experience, experience, and I'm there, and, and I, I'm inside, and I tell myself, it's too early, it's too much, I'm not ready, it's going to hurt, what else, it's going to hurt, it's too much, I'm not ready, stop. My answer to everything in life is to be no, it doesn't matter what the question is, no, stop. And so I came at seven months exactly. I was uh, born on August 31st. I was due on Halloween, which I think accounts for my sweet tooth. <laughs> so I had this I, a belief, belief, you know, that I carried through my entire life and told myself I experienced because of the belief. <laughs> what I do is I behave in a way to cover up that feeling or to go for that feeling. Because of that belief, not because it's happening. It happens because of belief. See, believing is seeing. It's the opposite of what we're told. So I asked my mom, what was my birth like? Oh, I feel the forceps. It's horrible. You know, I, I have all these feelings. Uh, the doc, You know, and so um, what I got to do was go about that, and what's my higher learning? Well... It was time, because it happened. <laughs> I'm here. I'm okay. It's not true. It was time. The doctors were only trying to help. They are trying to save my life. So I go ask and ask my mom, and I knew she had a little bit of this experience, but I didn't know the whole thing. I said, what happened when I was born? She said, I went to the hospital, and I was miscarrying. I, was, I had this huge clot of blood, and... Went in, they went and did an exam, and they said, she's dead. And we have to do a DNC. And so um, I said, no, wait. And I went into a coma. And it felt like a dream. And you came to me, and you talked to me. I said, 
Hi, Mom. <laughs> hey, Hans, uh, you talked to me, and you said, I'm okay, I'm here, I love you, everything's okay. And I woke up. And as I woke up, uh, you were coming. And I said, nurse, come. And she said, oh, no, you can't be having a baby. You're just medicated. <laughs> and she said, um, I'm having a baby. By the time they got over to her, they couldn't get her to the gurney I was born. She had no labor. Now, where does this thought, it's too early, it's too hard, it's going to hurt. It was a perfect delivery. The doctor said she's beautiful, she's gorgeous, she's whole. Where did that come from? Wow. I can let it go. It's not true. Since this has happened, since I had this, this just going in, this inquiry about this that I've been doing for quite a while, um, but I had this experience, guess what? I have not experienced that one time. When the thought comes, I go in and ask, wow, is that true? In this moment, is that true? What if it's easy? It's amazing what happens. It's really amazing. Do you practice any type of uh, meditation? I would, I would, just from my own experience, I've tried all of them. Um, tomorrow morning, I'm so glad someone asked that. I'm going to lead the meditation, and I'll show you one type that I use. All of them are pointers. The truth, if it's written in here, whatever said, whatever I say, it's not the truth. If you can say it, it isn't it. But it points to it. And so all of the meditation techniques point to the truth, which is the stillness, the sense of that's the prize. That's it. It's what we're looking for at the other end of the bag, or box, or in my case, Costco run. <laughs> and so they, they point to that. It, the, uh, it's it's um, blue collar work. You punch in, punch out, and it, and it's it's uh, how often and that we actually do it and not agree with it. That's important. I've had like chattery lately, and it's not my business what happens. Just my business. Um, fanny and feet. That's it. I am very uh, kinetic, and so I burn up a lot of energy, burn up a lot of calories, burn up a little. So. Um, what I, what I have to do is to be still completely. Um, walking meditations are beautiful. I can't do it. If any limb is moving, the, the, the mind is engaged for me. So I've got to sit still, and that's when I become aware of this chatter. And it's always happening. It's not that it gets loud if you start meditating. So many people I know, they try to meditate, and it's loud, and they stop. If it gets really loud, you're doing it right. It's always like that. You're just aware of it. At some point, we ask ourselves, if I'm this chatter, who's listening? <laughs> and so that becomes, you, you step back, and there's the awareness of the chatter. And then, and that standpoint is, is this awareness that we are. And that's what grows, the space between the thoughts, the space between what's happening here, right now. Close your eyes. Can you feel it? It's really here. 
It's between these words. Silence is not the absence of sound, it's the absence of self. What do you say to someone who relapses? Keep coming back. I have never had a spiritual experience in the ice cream aisle of the drugstore. Or my uh, the seasonal aisle, which I never have any business in, <laughs> ever. Um, I've had experiences, I, although they're possible. It's possible to have a drop dead now experience there. I just never had one. Um, I did have. We have time, or we're done. Five minutes. Oh, I was I I was in relapse, and I went to Kansas. I told Barbara this story. I went to Kansas to, um, for a work board I was on. This international board is very, it was, I was important. Wow. <laughs> I was in relapse. I was ordering for my family of 12 in the room, and I was alone. And, but I was important. So I'm there, and I'm absolutely bonkers. I, and I can't tell anyone I'm in relapse. I'm lying by omission. My personal favorite. So I'm there, and I can't, I open the telephone book. I love someone last time talked about what do you do when you can't. By the way, I just found out that online at OA.org, there are not only uh, online meetings, there are 1,500 telephone meetings a week, which means you call into a number, they connect you, and you are in a meeting. So I appreciated someone mentioning that before. So I can't, um, I can't pick up the phone. So what I do is, uh, I, the other people are going to Kansas City, Missouri to have dinner, and I know that somehow I'm in the wrong place. I'm always in the wrong place. I'm going to miss it. It's over there. So I get on a plane, and I go to Kansas City, and they're in the wrong hotel. They're in a different hotel. And I'm out in a hotel. I don't know where I'm at. It's, I, I am crazy. And I have to eat. I have to eat. I can't not eat at this point. I don't have the ability. What do you just say to someone who relapses? I was in relapse and I couldn't not eat. And so I'm pacing like one of those cougars at the zoo. And I'm going up and down and up and down. I try to go to the restaurant. It's closed. I try to take a cab to a grocery store. It's 45 minutes away. And I'm too cheap. I try to order room service, no room service. I go to the vending machines, the vending machines are broke, broken. This is not enough of a sign because I need to eat. I need to do it right now. 
So I, I go up to my room and I'm pacing, pacing, and I get this idea that it's only a compulsive overeater can get, this addictive idea. I know where the food is. I used to work in hotels. I know that there's a hallway right out here. I'm pointing to the exit in the other side of the room, and that's where the food is. It's a hallway where they take your place after the banquet, and I know how to get to the refrigerator because I worked in hotels for 14 years. And uh, so I go down the hallway to get to it. And I walk down, and I, you know, when you're, when one is in this state, we don't see anything around us. And so I'm going, and there's people around, and they're in my way. And I'm marching down here, and all of a sudden I, I go into the room, and there's all these people sitting down, and I am furious. Because they're in my way. There's someone talking to the meeting, I mean, to the uh, door. And so I sit down with the one candy bar that was in the, the uh, store, in the gift shop. It's not even enough to get stuck in my teeth, but i got to have it. And so it's just enough to get started so I can get to the door. And uh, I have walked into an Overeaters Anonymous convention. And I was pissed off. Because <laughs> you don't overeat in the room. And I didn't know anyone, so I kept eating my, my uh, candy bar, or I would have hidden it. And I'm listening, and all of a sudden, this rage, just, I realized what has happened to me. We are 35 miles from any other building except the airport. There's nothing around. It's in one of seven states. This state, once every seven years, it had never been and was never since at this hotel. And um, I got up and shared it and was bawling and everyone was crying. And a woman sat with me for five hours and listened to my four-step of what I had done over the previous years. I think it was two years at that point. Three years, maybe. And, uh, and that was the start of my recovery. It took a while to get where I stayed stopped. <laughs> but uh, that was a huge shift. So it doesn't matter if you're looking for the spirit. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what I'm doing. It's to be found no matter where. And sometimes it shows up as a region whatever convention. <laughs> it's now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. We can gather in a circle. Yeah, let's stand and gather in a circle. <laughs>